This week on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast, I interview Chase Hodges. Chase is the record-setting coach at Georgia Gwinnett. His teams have dominated NAIA play in recent years, with his men's team currently sitting on a 109-match winning streak. Chase has won big at every college tennis program he has coached, leading six of the seven teams to their first-ever ITA ranking. In this conversation, we explore Chase's approach to recruiting and how he has gone about turning a brand new program into a national powerhouse in just a few years. Chase Hodges, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Looking forward to uh, chatting with you. Okay. Well, I've been. Uh, I, we we didn't know each other before the the ITA Rome Cup a few weeks ago, so it was great to meet you out there. That's and right. people have been telling me about you and your your uh, your record. And uh, I've so as I was researching this podcast, I was looking up your record, and it is mind blowing. So you started your coaching career in two thousand two at Longwood. And you had your worst right. season as a men's coach going 12 and 10. That's just terrible. Awful. And, Awful. <laughs> and since then, you've, you've done some pretty amazing things at a, at a, bunch, of, uh, a bunch of colleges. And I, and I don't really, you know, I'm not really getting into winning with, with many of our, our coaches, but just kind of what you've done at, I guess, less traditional powerhouse programs and turning George Gwinnett into its own powerhouse. I mean, the last three years on the men's and women's side you've gone undefeated on the men's side you've uh, lost three matches on the women's side i mean there's so many things i can get into but one of the things that really jumped yeah. out to me is uh, of the seven colleges you've you've been at um six of them you took to the ita rankings for the first time so i'm just trying to get a sense of mm -hmm. what do you think you do well and and how are you able to impact these programs uh, so significantly in such a short period of time in your mind yeah, I think the uh, the first part of that answer really is, you know, I've I've stepped into situations where you know I've taken programs over that really haven't had that much success. Uh, to be quite honest with you, Dave, from a standpoint of you know being able to take six programs to their first ever national rankings, that means they were never ranked before I got there. So um, you know, I'm not very interested in in taking a position. I'm probably in the minority from that standpoint in, in terms of taking a position where a program has had a lot of success and you basically just inherit that program and, and just keep it afloat and, and keep the, the tradition alive. Um, you know, the programs, I've kind of gone a different route in, in terms of finding programs where, you know, the, the winning maybe hasn't been there or the tradition hasn't been there and trying to instill a culture. Um, and, and getting those results over time. And for me, you know, I think just life in general, it's all about having a challenge. And every job I've had has, has been a major challenge in terms of uh, going in somewhere and trying to, to make it a contender or make it um, a, a somewhat of a, a household name or, or putting it on the map. And, you know, for me, that's something that motivates me on a daily basis is, is, taking those programs that maybe haven't had the success or um, maybe something that, you know, people don't know too much about it and instilling that winning culture and 
and finding ways to make it happen. So, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the, the timing of the positions that I've taken and the, and the jobs that I've taken throughout my career, but I don't regret any position I've taken. I think it's shaped me into, you know, the coach that I am today and, um, definitely thankful for all those jobs along the way. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's so really the Longwood yeah. job, the, the twelve and ten. You know, I'm still <laughs> upset about that. Uh, I'm sorry you know, to that, bring it that, up. Uh, I was I was 25 years old when I took my first head coaching <laughs> job, um, and that was at Longwood. I was a graduate assistant at UNC Wilmington for three years, and then jumped right into a head coaching job. And, and mm. in 2001, at, at 25, and uh, had the men and women there. Got the women. Uh, nationally ranked which was great and you know was only there for a year and and, and jumped over to UNC Asheville um, after that but uh, every position you know has has really helped mold me into what I'm doing now yeah no no doubt about it I mean you've had several stops along the way and and so you've yeah. you've experienced um, you know both men and women you've experienced different divisions right. and not, not many coaches can say that but obviously at, at, at each of those stops in order to have the success yeah. you've had you you've obviously done a great job with recruiting and, and maximizing um, you know what what the colleges offer your your recruiting budget things right. of that nature so uh, you know, recruiting right. can be really messy at times. And, and I think sometimes as coaches, we want to fit things into nice little boxes, but it, it's, it's a, it's a right. messy process, but I'm trying to sure. learn from you as to how you make that process as efficient as possible. And, and, uh, I can't imagine you've had a huge recruiting budget at, 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 at any of the schools you've been at. So you, you've had to right. stretch your dollars as, as far as they could go. So could you maybe talk about, how you make that process or what your your philosophy or strategy is behind recruiting and then how you maximize your your recruiting budget absolutely and you know it's it's one of those where i think that you have to have the experience in order to be able to maximize those dollars and in order to have the experience you have to be in a program that maybe doesn't have the funding from a recruiting standpoint uh with dollars or scholarship dollars you know, mm -hmm. uh, I look at a, a program like UNC Asheville, um, great city, great university, was there from 2002 to 2005, uh, very limited budget. I think we had just over two scholarships on the men's side and, and maybe three scholarships on the women's side. And we were able to get both those programs nationally ranked at the Division One level, and we were able to do that from a standpoint of not wasting a penny. Uh, and when I say that, I mean – you have to make sure that every dollar is spent very, very well uh, in order to maximize your return uh, on your investment, whether it be on a, on a scholarship or um, a recruiting trip that you take. Um, and that has truly helped me now um, as I've gotten older in terms of being able to look back to those days and, and make sure that, you know, you stretch those dollars. And really to answer your question, they've, you just can't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, you know, you, you run it like you're the CEO of a business, obviously, but you know, a thousand dollar, if I award a player, uh, let's say 70% scholarship and, and he or she based on results is really maybe worth around 50%. That's a, mm -hmm. you know, a loss of 20% that, really I'm in a position that I can't recoup and I have to, to deal with that mistake. So you really have to make sure that 
uh, every investment that you make, you're getting a, a positive return on. And if you're able to do that, regardless of your budget, you can have success. It's just mm-hmm. you really got to make sure that you're meticulous in really studying potential recruits' results or making sure that, you know, if you decide to go overseas and, and spend your recruiting budget, that you're maximizing the amount of players that you're going to see on that trip you're able to maximize the relationships that you're going to be able to build with the people in that specific country. You're able to really build for the future based on all the dollars that you're spending. And, you know, that's the biggest thing that that I learned from those old days is, is making sure that I'm not wasting a dime and we're getting a nice return on everything. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And then, so you talked about uh, you know, taking trips, whether that's domestically or, or right. internationally, but uh, how would you encourage mm-hmm. young coaches to, to build their recruiting network uh, all around the world? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it's something you've, you've done a Absolutely. good job of, but you, you had to start somewhere at some point and you didn't know everybody and you're still mm-hmm. meeting people along the yeah. way, but, but how have you gone about yeah. it and how would you encourage others to go about it? Yeah, I would say that, you know, that as a young coach, you have to be willing to network. You have to be willing to establish those connections. Um, you have to be putting yourself in a position where you're going to the ITA coaches convention down in Naples. You're traveling to the, the college showcase events. You're shaking hands with individuals all over the world that could have a positive impact on your program. So, you have to have that willingness to travel. You have to have that willingness to put yourself out there. And that was one of the things that luckily for me, um, I did a pretty good job of young in my career is I established those connections, which have really paid off for me very well. Now um, it's put me in a position now at the age of 43, I'm not having to do the daily grind that I was doing in my twenties and early thirties because a lot of those relationships that I made back then, I still have today, and I'm able to lean on those relationships uh, when necessary, uh, which has been greatly helpful. So, young coaches, you got to get out there. Um, you got to really uh, put yourself out there with your program. You got to sell your program, sell yourself, and, and put yourself in a position where everyone that you meet knows that, hey, that guy right there, he's going to be going places. I can tell that, you know, he's got the right head on his shoulders and he's going to have a lot of success. And, um, you know, it's all about connections, as you know, Dave. I mean, you know, I could be the best coach in the world, but if I don't have connections, I'm not going to be very successful. So uh, you really got to be willing to uh, make those connections. And most importantly, uh, one thing that I've learned throughout my career is is just follow up with those connections, you know. And if you you haven't, you know, spoke to someone in a couple months, reach out to them. Uh, relive that connection, sort of like the connection we made at mm-hmm. uh, the Oracle Cup when we met. Now that's a connection that will carry us on um, mm-hmm. through the, you know, through the end. So, you know, it's all about, you know, putting yourself uh, in, out there and, and, and letting people know what you're all about. And, you know, I think that enthusiasm mm-hmm. that you have, um, that I have really for my program, I think it's infectious and people can see how much, uh, I care about the program and, you know, eventually recruits can want to be a part of that, hopefully. Sure. So, so do you have any type of system for cultivating those relationships? Do you, you know, keep a spreadsheet and, oh, I haven't checked in with so-and-so over in Florida for quite some time, or is just, you kind of keep these things in your head and you, you, you have a sense of who's doing what and keeping tabs on people via social media or something like that? <laughs> 
Right. I mean, my, my typical deadline, I mean, I like to stay in touch with people, you know, at least every three months. So mm. four times a year is, is for me a, a pretty good connection, whether it's just checking in via voice text, phone call, text, whatever it is, email, making sure that that connection knows that, all right, you know, if, if Chase is in need of a player, you know, I know that that person knows where to go. They know to contact me, making sure those lines of communication remain open mm-hmm. um, because all, all any, any contact that you make in life could be a contact that could benefit you later in life from a standpoint of with your team and, and vice versa. You could be helping someone else out. So, right. um, you know, that line of communication always needs to remain open. And for me, I feel like my student athletes, my previous student athletes have been some of my best recruiters, um, you know, they've been alumni that have gone back to their respective countries or stayed in the United States and, and stayed in the tennis industry. And for me, um, you know, as a coach, you want to make sure that your student athletes have a positive experience because there's no better recommendation than a former athlete saying, Hey, I got a player that's right. extremely high level. I want them to come play for you based on the experience that I had. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that, I've been lucky with, you know, I, don't, I, I hate to say it's been skilled because it really hasn't. I've been very fortunate that, I mean, I really haven't been very fortunate that a lot of my former student athletes have stayed in the tennis industry. Right. And, you know, I've been able to, um, you know, keep my connections with all of them and um, after they finished and mm-hmm. call on them when needed. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. So, okay. you know, it, it's all about networking, as you know, and yeah. you got to make sure that you're, you're following through. And, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a little bit younger, just maybe you were the same way, Dave, but I think when we're younger, we, we all have a bit of an ego. I've managed to lose mine. Thank God, thankfully over the years. And, uh, you know, you, you run into those, younger coaches at times that could be like, Oh, the convention, what do I need? You know, I, I know everything or I don't, I don't need this, <laughs> that mentality. You can't have that mentality, you know, that yeah. mentality, you got to always be willing to learn and willing to listen to other people. And mm-hmm. if you can have that mentality, you're going to do big things. Okay. Well, thanks for plugging the uh, coaches convention as well. We appreciate that. But there you go. Yeah. Um, you, well, you talk Plugging about it. Yeah. No, keep it up. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get yeah, to it in absolutely. a few questions, but no, um, you know, obviously, okay. You're, you're keeping track of, of those connections that you're making, but, but those connections can only take you so far. So, so they right. say, Hey, you know, we've got this player. We think it might be a good fit, but why do you believe you're connecting so well with these student athletes or potential student athletes? Obviously, they're they're drawn to you. They they want to come play for you. But why why do you think you're connecting so well with them? I think because I believe in what I'm selling, Dave. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I believe in you know. We'll take Georgia Gwinnett right now, but you know, every program I've been at, I you know. We'll, We'll, we'll speak George Gwinnett right now. I feel, you know, let's say I'm recruiting you mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sell you to come to George Gwinnett. I truly believe in what I'm selling. You know, I truly believe that you coming to Atlanta um, is, a, is a great destination. Atlanta is one of the best tennis cities in America. Uh, Atlanta leads the United States in USTA membership. You can find a flight out of Atlanta anywhere in the world direct. You can come to Georgia Gwinnett and compete for national championships on an annual basis. Um, I'm recruiting you right now, Dave. <laughs> no, I was just about to say, there's no recruits listening to this, uh, Chase. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one of those where yeah. if you want to be a part of a, of, of a culture and a, if you really want to be a part of something uh, mm-hmm. that 
you can take great pride in and be a part of a, a true family-like atmosphere, then mm-hmm. we can provide that at Georgia going out. And, you know, to, to answer your question, that's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. I think as a coach, you have to be really in full, you have to believe what mm-hmm. you're selling. You have to believe in your program. And uh, if you truly believe in your program, then I think you can have great success. And mm-hmm. one thing that I will mention, Dave, is I, I truly believe that if you don't believe in your program, a recruit can see that. A mm-hmm. recruit can see through that. You know, so I think that that's been beneficial to me. Talking to recruits is, you know, when they get off the the phone with me, they're like, "Man, that guy, he's excited about the program." You know, he's right. he's you know he's got a zest to his program, and I think that that might be something I want to be a part of, you know, and um, you got to have that. You got to have an enthusiasm for life, you know, when you're right. discussing your program and enthusiasm for the program and, you know, a, a monotone individual that really doesn't have much excitement. That's not going to go very far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for me, that's, that's been key. You know, the, the players I think that I've connected with truly believe, you know, man, this guy, maybe he's on to something. This could be something that could be a great fit for me and I could be a part of this. So yeah, yeah. that would be the way to do it. So, so yeah, coaches really need to find those aspects of their program that, that they truly believe in, because as, as you say, as, as you believe in something, you're going to get a little more excited about it. It's going to come across Absolutely. a lot more genuine. And, and so obviously you, you've done a great job of that through the years. So what, what recruiting tactic or tool do you think is a complete waste of time and why? Oh, man, that's a good question. <laughs> so uh, you're gonna, I'm probably in a minority on this, but I, I speak the honest truth. So uh, videos for me are, are just recruiting videos, player mm-hmm. videos. I feel like a lot of time and effort is put into those and honestly don't even watch them uh it's a, a complete waste of time from my mm. standpoint simply because they're edited dave mm. i mean you could you yeah. could go out and i could look like roger federer if you <laughs> edit my video and i'm you know i, I hit 104 hands and the 80 that i make you don't see the 20 i miss you see the 80 that i make you're like wow this guy mm-hmm. he's incredible you know the results don't lie results tell everything from my standpoint i'm very black and white in the recruiting standpoint and okay. you know if you put together if you if you have a phenomenal video but you don't have the results um for me it it makes it tough to have interest um it's 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 something for me where i need to see the results i need to see that you're competing i need to see that you've shown um improvement with those results and a video for me is, is something that you know it, it can be some coaches let's say you know a lot of coaches they love to see the videos because they lo- love to see the player that they're getting i personally would rather see the results because i want to know the player that i'm getting from a result standpoint and at the end of the day, Dave, we're a results-driven business, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's ultimately, you know, from a coaching standpoint, what, what pays the bills for me. So I want to make sure that I'm getting a player that, that has those results. And, you know, I'm not saying to recruits not to do videos. I'm not saying that at all because I mm-hmm. think they are beneficial to some degree. But I do feel like if that's your number one way of getting recruited is a video, going to be very difficult because mm-hmm. you got to have the results to back it up so well, um what about the flip side know. of that question is is, is there something uh-huh. that that coaches you know are doing to recruit players you know maybe it's right you know handwritten letters or you know right. a certain number of phone calls or you know is there, is there things that right. coaches are kind of spinning their wheels on a little bit that really 
you know, that's not paying off. Is there anything that maybe you've done in the past that you realized like this? I'm just wasting my time here. This doesn't, this doesn't convert, uh, you know, a prospect into a, a signed player. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, once you get to the point of establishing a, a good enough relationship, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do is if I'm trying to recruit a player and it's difficult to get in touch with that player or that player is not responsive mm-hmm. or that player is taking, you know, a week or two to respond. Well, I don't waste my time anymore. You know, time mm-hmm. is precious. At the end of the day, I want the players that are, you know, r- responding to my communication and, and vice versa. And I think it goes both ways. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, I'm not I'm not too interested in a player where, I'm having to really, really fight hard just to get them to respond to me. Mm. Um, that's where I think that, you know, coaches can save a lot of their time and energy because at the end of the day, the reality is that player's most interested in another program. That's why they're not responding to you. That's mm-hmm. the reality of the situation. So, yeah. you know, let's face it and move on, you know, and that's uh, one thing that I think is is, is helpful is, you know, move on from players that, that really aren't responding to you. And, mm-hmm. and I think that you'll be able to really focus in on the players that want to come to your, your college. I think that's yeah. um, the best advice I could give from that standpoint. No, that's great. And I think, yeah, coaches struggle with that, especially younger coaches, because, you know, they, they like you said, they believe in their program and they're told to, you know, never give up and, you know, keep keep right. competing for that recruit. But you need to know when you right. need to, to cut your losses and move on. But so since I've returned exactly. to kind of college, the college tennis world, I, I, I get a lot of coaches asking me, oh, I bet you don't miss recruiting. And, and I say, no, I, I, I don't. It's one of the reasons I got out of right. college coaching. But obviously, you know, you you enjoy that process and and so what what is it you think you're maybe enjoying about that process that that other college coaches are not getting and and maybe getting them to think about why are they not enjoying that process and and how should they be thinking about recruiting differently i know that's a it's a big question but just from your perspective well i know you know this dave and i know a lot of coaches know this and you know it is just words but it's factual is recruiting is the lifeline of your program and if if you don't if you don't believe that then i don't know how much success you're going to have so mm-hmm. you know you really have to prioritize you know how you're going to build your program and for me recruiting is right at the top uh because you have to have uh the players in order to win matches and you have to be able to put yourself in a position where you're getting the highest level players to come to your school and as a coach you have to realize that you know, they're not just going to magically fall in your lap. You know, you're going to have to put in the work, put in the time, establish those connections, follow up, and really define the players that you want to have and know that your success, you know, your wins and losses are, are truly based on that. One of the things that I tell myself all the time, and, you know, it, it came from my dad. My dad was in college coaching for forever, so I've been around it my whole life. He coached uh, Division two basketball, but – you know, he would tell me, especially when I was at home in college or, or young in my career over Thanksgiving break or Christmas break, you know, I'd be, you know, I was using that as like downtime, you know, mm-hmm. at that time, like trying to relax and prepare for the spring season. <laughs> and he would, you know, give me the old, well, you know, you could be recruiting right now. Somebody's <laughs> going to be getting a player to beat you in January. You know what I mean? And I'm right. like, well, dad, you just ruined my holiday. <laughs> well, I got to, you know, I'm trying to, 
you know, relax here. But, I mean, you, you have to find that balance to relax as well, but you also have to be willing to put in the work. And, you know, there's no – there's no recipe, you know, some magic recipe. It's, it's hard work is going to bring success. And if you're willing to put in the hard work on the recruiting end, I guarantee you, you'll have success. In Mm -hmm. fact, I I, I would, I would guess Dave, I don't want to do this, but if you, if you could get someone to do this, to put in the amount of hours that a specific coach puts in from a recruiting standpoint on a weekly basis, I would venture to say that the the coaches that put in the, the more hours are the ones having the more success if they answer those questions honestly. I, I really yeah. feel that much about you know how important it is to put those hours in on the recruiting yeah. side. No, I think that's a, a safe bet, and I think a lot of coaches, young coaches, get into the business you know excited to work with players, excited to build culture on teams, but don't necessarily recognize that that like you said at the beginning, recruiting is is the lifeblood of the program, and then it's kind of a shock to the exactly. system like oh wow i've i've got to go do this and make this a priority right. i thought i was just going to be traveling and, and developing uh, players and it's just it's right. it's uh, just one part of the job so well i mean we, we spent Perfect. quite a bit of time on on your recruiting powers but obviously you know you've got these players in place and and you have to to make the most of of the skills they have and get them to gel as a team so also what other to have the record that you have, you obviously recruit well, but there's other things you do well. So what would be maybe your other superpower as a, as a college coach that allows you well, to break these records? First of all, I, I have zero superpowers, that's for sure. That's a fact. <laughs> um, so that's factual. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's by no means, you know, I have deficiencies as a coach just like anybody, but I think that's one – thing that you have to do is be able to recognize those uh, and work to your strengths and for me one of my strengths I think is you know you hear the term players coach and I I truly feel I'm a players coach Uh, I truly feel that you know I have the best interest of my players um, at heart every time that we go out and train Um, you know I think it's very important um, you know you have to maintain uh, as a head coach uh, the discipline and respect obviously of your players but even with that being said, you know, I got an open door policy where my players can talk to me at any time about anything. And you also have to be willing to talk to them on the human level in order to have the results that you want to have. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like, you know, that's been very, uh, I feel like that's helped me to, to be totally honest with you. Is that I haven't really changed my coaching throughout my career. And I feel like, you know, any of the players that I've coached in the past, they could tell you, you know, Chase is, you know, he's a, he's a good guy, you know, he's mm-hmm. a, he's going to help me when I need help. And, you know, he's always going to be there for me. And, you know, I feel like when my players need to dig down in the tank in a tight match, of course, they're going to fight for their teammates. Of course, they're going to fight for their university that they're representing. But if they can maybe dig 1% down to that, that coach, maybe if they can, you know, give it another one or two percent because they want to win for that coach, then I feel like you're really on to something. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I ask myself is, are my players willing to go out and compete at 110 percent and fight for every point and fight for every ball? And if they are, then I know I'm doing my job right as a coach. And um, I truly feel that, you know, win, lose or draw, I'm never going to have a problem with any of my players if they're giving me 110 percent. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's where the, the hard work comes in and the effort comes in. If you're given hard work and, and effort, 
you know, that's going to be talent any day of the week. So that's what we're going to take. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I'd like to have talent and hardworking players. Um, that would be the, the one-two combination that we're always trying to find at Georgia going up because we feel if we can have both of those, we're, you know, going to separate ourselves from the competition. But, um, you know, a player's coach that's uh, willing to, to, to fight for his players and, mm-hmm. and look out for his players' best interest and, you know, I would tell any parent that has a son or daughter um, that's looking to play college tennis, my, my hope is that they would feel very comfortable and confident that they're going to be under my tutelage um, throughout their collegiate career. And at the end of the uh, journey, the, the hope is they'll, they'll have a college degree and we've made them into a, you know, a, a man and a woman and they're ready to attack the real world at, you know, 100 degree speed. So it's, it's going to be, uh, that's what we try to do. Okay, good. And then, so, I mean, we spoke about this out in Rome a little bit, but obviously you've had a lot of success at the D1 level and mid-major. I've I've no doubt you've had plenty of opportunities and and most coaches in your position would probably have gone on to to kind of, uh, you know, being in a a power five position and focus all their energies on either the men or the women and have a big budget to do so. But you you chose a different pathway and you chose to uh, Mm. start a brand new program at, at Georgia Gwinnett in the NAIA and uh, and, and yep. you stayed and you've, you've done amazing things but what why yep. you know why has that been such a good fit for you and and um, again just as, as you know young coaches are listening to this why why right. is that the pathway you decided to take because that you kind of booked the trend there a little bit I'm well that's to be you know i'm i'm not a trend guy um, never have been you know and and that's just me you know and i'm not a trend guy and i remember when i took the job you know everybody was like wait this guy's been the division one head coach for you know over a decade and he's going to nai what is he doing what's wrong with this guy and, you know for me i don't care what other people you know i think you you can't care what other people think mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that uh you know especially as a young coach you you know, what things look like on the surface is necessarily not what they truly are. And for me, seven and a half years in at George Gwinnett, you know, that move has been the best decision of my life from a career standpoint. And, you know, you look at all the other positions that I've had or even a power five position. And Dave, how many of those jobs would I have the opportunity to start something from zero? Yeah, I don't think any of them. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there's, it's, it's hard to put into words, but it's, it's a special affinity. It's almost like having a child. I'm, I'm being dead honest here. I mean, when you start a program from zero, um, and, you know, I remember July 1st, 2012, sitting in my office, first day on the job at Georgia Gwinnett, I had no tennis balls, no uniforms, no players, no schedule, nada, zero. And being able to, you know, talk about it now, it's just a, it's like a great affinity. It's like a love story I have with Georgia Gwinnett, uh, us, you know, and, uh, you know, where else could I have that? I don't think I could have that at any other program where I'm just inheriting a team where a previous coach was. And, yeah. you know, I'm just inheriting something that maybe has had tradition or not had tradition, but building it, being able to build something from ground zero and take it somewhere for me is, it's been great. Um, you know, when people talk about Georgia going at, and, you know, I've had conversations and people don't even know 
I'm with Georgia Gwinnett or, or who I am, and they're talking about, man, have you heard about that Georgia Gwinnett, that <laughs> college tennis team? And yeah. I'm, dude, I, the biggest smiles on that. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. you know, it, it's it's nice. You know, it's nice to be able to uh, have people talk about the program in that regard, and right. um, you know, it, it's just tough to. You know, really put into words starting something from zero and mm-hmm. and, and, and taking it to, a, you know, yeah. even if we weren't at the level that we've had, I mean, just starting something from zero in general, I think you have a, a big affinity towards mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, very happy and really enjoy uh, the program and enjoy having both teams. I got a, a phenomenal athletic director and, and Dr. Darren Wilson who hired me back in 2012 and is still the athletic director and doing great things. And, um, got an amazing support staff with the assistant coaches that I've had. And, you know, oh, he's, the, the program is, is, you know, when I took the job, I wanted to make sure that it was a program where we could win. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, telling him, I think we can win a national championship in 2014. And people were looking at me like I was nuts because, <laughs> you know, 2013, we were in, ineligible to compete being a first year program. Mm-hmm. So when I took the job, all I was thinking about was May of 2014. I mean, I was literally, that's all I could think about. So being able to win it in our first year and eligibility on both sides was, was incredible. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was, I'm still, I'm sitting here smiling, thinking about it. So, uh, good <laughs> yeah. time. It was a good time. So, so, so I mean, yeah. I mean, we often hear about, uh, programs been, been cut or canceled, unfortunately, but yeah. then there's stories, uh, like yours. And actually, you know, I'm sitting here at, at Arizona state and the men's program was reinstated right. there a few years ago as well. So there are, you know, great stories like that as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, if a college coach is moving into a position where a program's been reinstated or, or started for the first time, is there any advice you could give to them, you know, what they should be doing or yeah. thinking about in their first three months, six months, 12 months, and, and maybe if there's anything you would have done differently in that first year, so they don't make that same mistake. Yeah. Well, first of all, Dave, you gotta if you're gonna take a, a job where you're starting from zero or they're reinstating or, or or what have you, you gotta be honest with yourself first and foremost and say, look, am am I willing to to do this? Am I willing to to put in the time and the effort? Because I will say, it getting it off the ground, uh, there's so many challenges that you forget about, um, you know, when you've just simply inherited programs and, and maybe added some pieces, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you're having to add, you know, eight to 10 players in one year on each side, um, and get the right fit and, and manage a budget and, and that's never been utilized and basically do everything for the first time, um, it's a lot of work. So, you know, it's one of those where you need to be on the mind set of be very, have a very positive attitude. And, and one of the things that helped me uh, in my first year is, is simply, I mean, it's a common saying, but I, I just simply didn't get stressed. I mean, mm-hmm. it's life is too short to stress. I say that all the time. I mean, it's, it's true though. I mean, it's, it's one of those where, you know, you gotta be willing to put in the work, but you can't, stress yourself out while you're doing it, especially when you're starting a program from ground up. And, you know, if you're willing to put the man hours in and, and dedicate all your, your time to getting this thing off the ground, you can reap some mm-hmm. incredible rewards, but just make sure that, you know, going into that position, you understand that, you know, this isn't 
going to be easy. This is going to yeah. require a, a ton of work. And the only thing that I think that I could have done better um, in my first year, I think that um, one of the things that I, you know, that first year, and, and it really it was just because it was the hand I was dealt, but, um, you know, I'm getting more and more into the player development side now. Um, but the first year, it was almost impossible to because, you know, you're just trying to get a team. Uh, you're just trying to, to get bodies and, and players and fill a roster on two teams. So you spend so much of your time and energy doing that that the player development side is, is something that it's hard to, to put a focus on. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you can do both of that, then, you know, that, that would be phenomenal. But, you know, now it's it's nice because, you know, that's something that myself and the coaching staff can really focus in, uh, in on now is the player development side now that we got right. the program up and running and, and really, you know, maximizing the potential on every player that we have and helping mm-hmm. them, you know, play at their highest level. You know, that's what our goal is now to, to keep our – you know, to keep the success going. Yeah. So if there's a young coach out there who is getting into college coaching, maybe they're a volunteer, maybe they're getting ready to graduate and they, they believe the Holy Grail is coaching at NCAA Division One or a Power 5 team, what would you maybe uh-huh. say to them to consider coaching in, in other divisions such as the NAIA and, and kind of disabusing them of the, of the, you know, the idea that, right. that D1 is everything and, and uh, that anything yeah. less than that is, you know, uh, not going to be an option. Well, I mean, I used to be one of those guys right. when I was young in my career thinking, it, you know, that's what I figured. It's power so. five. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's power five or bust for mm-hmm. me, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of those that as I've matured with time and, you know, I'm not, this doesn't go to say that you can't be a power five coach and, mm-hmm. and have a high quality of life because I think there's plenty of power five coaches out there that, that do have a high quality of life. But one thing that I can say from my standpoint is my quality of life is very high. Mm. Um, you know, I, I enjoy life. I have a well-rounded life and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's ever good to put yourself in a position, um, where, your job and your career is your entire life because I think you're setting yourself up for failure there. I think your job needs to be a a part of your life. Um, And that's something that, you know, I've been able to find um, with my career is I've been able to find positions where we've been able to have success, success, but I would never um, put myself where in a position where, um, you know, spending less time with family or spending less time, on other things that I want to do in life because of this job. Mm -hmm. And that's the fine medium that you really need to find. Um, And some coaches find it, some coaches don't. Um, But I think the most important thing is when you do find it, you need to realize that, hey, I got a pretty special job here Mm -hmm. and I need to appreciate what I do have. Because as you know, Dave, being in this industry, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, but a lot of times when you're talking to coaches, they, they, they like to talk about what they don't have, mm. you know, and my mindset is let's talk about what we do have, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, every, every school I've been at, you know, you know, Longwood, what are you going to do? Why are you going to Longwood? Well, you know, it's, I'm 25 years old. I get an opportunity to be a leader at a young age and mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity. Why, why are you going to UNC Asheville? There's no scholarships there. I mean, there's, what do you, well, you know what? I'm going to build the best program I can with what I have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Drake, why are you going to Des Moines, Iowa? What are you doing? I mean, what? Hey, Des Moines, Iowa is a great place. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great place. You know, uh, Georgia State. Uh, when I was there, everybody's like, why are you going to Georgia State? You don't even have a tennis facility there. They yeah. don't. They're downtown Atlanta. It's a commuter school. Guess what? We play at, you know, we played at Piedmont Park, beautiful park, unbelievable. You got to find positives in everything. Why are you going to Georgia going to NAI? Hey, I'm going to build the best program I can regardless of level. And that's one of the things I don't want, you know, with Georgia going at, you know, when people talk about us, you know, I like for them to talk about us as one of the top programs, regardless of level, NAI, D1, D2, you know, regardless of level. And that's one of the things that I preach to our players is, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the division that we compete in, you know, don't, that's not something that's ever going to hold us back. Um, and, you know, I think that's important for all coaches is, Talk about what you have and, and not what you don't have. Mm. No, that's great advice on a, a number of different levels, Chase. I uh, appreciate that. Just just lastly, then, I, I'd be remiss not to yeah. ask you about the, the the winning streak you're on with the men. So is, am I right? Is it 109 wins that you're at right now? Oh, we have a streak? I didn't even know we had a streak. Uh, so, uh, uh, new year, new beginning every year. I uh, appreciate you bringing that up. I, I actually did not know that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I've, Dave, to be honest with you, we're at the point now where we're just owning the streak. Um, yeah. And it is, a, it is at 109 now. And um, our, our last loss was in 2015. And, um on the men's side and we didn't really start talking about the streak though until mm. maybe the end of 2018 and and then last year I, it was brought up a lot but yeah. you know for the remainder of 15 16 and 17 it wasn't even mentioned okay. um and then when we started when we started getting a, a couple more in the win column up there um people started mentioning hey do you think you can get to 100 mm-hmm. and um uh, and then I was at the point where, you know what, I was like, as a coach, I'm going to use this as a motivational tool. Mm. And that's what I've done. I said, you know, I can either not talk about it or we can own it and, and talk about it. And, you know, for me, it's, it's been a, it's been phenomenal because it's actually helped us. Yeah. Um, I know that's uh, it's actually helped us because, you know, we step out on the court and we know that every match we play, you know, another team has a chance to to break the streak and and make a name for themselves along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we do get a lot of teams. A lot of people are like, "Does anyone want to play you?" And I'm like, "Actually, they do because mm-hmm. people want to, you know, have the opportunity to end that streak." And uh, <laughs> we've we've been tested many times, and uh, you know, we yeah. we pulled quite a few matches out of the fire that uh, I don't know how we pulled them out to keep mm-hmm. this thing alive and. I'm sure it'll happen again this year. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's tough to to keep it going, but hey, we're gonna try to keep this thing going as long as we can. Okay, well, we will be following along for sure. But most so. importantly, most importantly, yeah. Dave, we're gonna enjoy. We're gonna enjoy Good. every minute of it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Because uh, if you don't enjoy it, then uh, you know, it's like Jim mm. Valvano back in. The, you followed him back in NC State. Mm. You know, someone someone said, you know, when they we're going to the uh, final four. Uh, someone said, uh, you know, they're going to throw a parade for you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, a reporter asked them, they said, Hey, 
you know, is that going to affect your guys' preparation going to the Final Four? He said, how many times in your life do people throw a parade for you? <laughs> we're going to own this and enjoy right. it. You right. know what I mean? So same thing here. We're enjoying yeah. this thing. We're going to keep this thing going as as long as we can. Well, that's great. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that many coaches will be in, in a similar position, but I, I remember as, as a college coach, I mean, some of my best years were my most miserable years because – you're you're trying to yeah. protect something, you know, and you feel like you're protecting right. something, and you feel like it's the most important right. thing in the world. And um, so right. it's so great to hear your your attitude, and I'm sure your coaches or your players are feeling that as well, and they're they're not feeling yeah. the pressure. I'm sure I I put pressure on my players because I was you know so highly strung about trying to protect our success and and uh so well right. done and and that's that's great to hear you're you're going about it in that way but chase th thank you so much for your time today this was very informative and and i hope coaches get a lot out of it so uh best of luck in the spring and and look forward to seeing how you uh guys continue hey thanks a lot dave and uh i'll see you last plug for the ita convention i'll see you down <laughs> in uh naples in december so great. i look forward to it great thanks man all right thank you for listening to me and chase i hope to see some of you at the convention this weekend here in naples if not we will definitely see you at some point in 2020 Next time on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast, I interview Jeff Moore, the former women's coach at the University of Texas. We talk about a whole host of things, including his brand new book, Strive Together.